You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As it said at the start, this is the Locked On Indians podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. And for today's podcast, we're going to look at the game today. We're going to have a Carlos Santana appreciation night, as it were. And then I'll end with some... uh, draft talk my uh second mock draft of the year for 24 7 sports for the mlb draft just got sent to my editor i'll give a sneak peek of what i did with the indians my thoughts and some other names that i didn't talk about but maybe some early ones to know so another good game for the indians today shane bieber was spectacular seven innings six strikeouts one walk there's a lot to like in that performance. Only three hits allowed. That's two strong starts for him. Leonis Martin, another home run. He goes three for four. He also has a walk. He's up over 200, and you know he's above average defender in center field, so if he can even get up to like a 240 with his defensive value, it's a net win for this team. Carlos Santana came to the bat five times. He reached base five times. He went three for three with two hits. Or, I'm sorry, two hits. He had three hits if he went three for three. He went three for three with two walks. And, you know, while none of those hits were for extra bases, it's still pretty impressive when a guy comes to the plate five times and all five times reaches base. And that's part of the reason for why today will become the Carlos Santana Appreciation Night. Uh, other standout performances, Brad Miller, the home run two nights ago, goes two for four today. You have to like that he is trending. I mean, of course you like that he's trending upwards, but it makes you wonder, uh, there has to be a spot for him at this point when Kipnis comes back. I think it's pretty clear that he is a stronger performer than some of the other players on roster. On the not so great front, Jose Ramirez, 0 for 5. It's it's every day getting a little more troublesome. Hanley Ramirez 0 for 5. He's started to fall off of late. We'll see how it goes. Um, he's just one of those guys. We don't know what he's going to provide over a long season, but performances have started to dip. Average is below 200. His uh, All the other stats aren't quite there. His average has been low in general. But he was providing through walks and extra bases and not as much of that in this Detroit series outside of yesterday's game for him. The rest of the lineup, uh, just kind of little stuff here or there. Bowers with a hit. Naquin with a hit. Kevin P with a hit. So it's uh, it was a strong performance. And then one of those things that I think really has to stand out so far for me is Adam Simber, who there's no nice way to put it. He was god-awful last year when he came to Cleveland. He was not good. He all of a sudden was, for someone who never walked anybody, he started walking everyone. His strikeout rates in the minors were never great, so it wasn't a surprise to see those dip. But the walk rate also exploding up was. And so far this year, he has come into seven games, and he has been lights out one run one hit four strikeouts we'll see if he can keep it going but this is a really positive sign 
and you consider that, yes, they paid that heavy price primarily to get Brad Hand, who had multiple years of control experience at the back of the pen and is a lefty, but Simber was a part of that deal for a reason and was a player that they liked for a reason. And uh, one of those things we've seen is that they like that kind of sidearm uh, right-hander. It wasn't just adding um, Simber in that deal. They went into the draft and took Nick Sandlin in the second round. They took Robert Broom in the ninth or tenth round out of Mercer. They they loaded up on those side armors a year ago. So it's clearly they see value in that that maybe others don't see. And it wasn't a save for hand, but he came out and pitched well again. One inning, struck out one, no hits, no, you know. So it's another good game. They take two out of three from Detroit. They now are eight and four. Detroit is eight and five. So I believe that puts them first in the division. I would have to really dig. And by really dig, I would have to just pull up standings. But I am pretty sure that puts them first in the division we now have the kansas city royals they will be heading out to kc the royals are a team this year they just called up richard lovelady who is one of their top prospects he's a reliever though um a power reliever for them it's not a surprise they called him up he probably could start the year with the team but they are bringing him up to to the big leagues as it were and you know, he's kind of one of those names to watch. They have a lot of boomer bust prospects um, in that minor, in the minors for them. The Royals so far this year, if you haven't been paying attention, are currently in a 10-game losing streak. They are 2-10. They won their first two games and have not won a game since. They have a negative 20 run, run differential. Uh, they just got spanked by the Mariners rather soundly, but that shouldn't come as a surprise as the Mariners are setting all types of records they just homered in their 15th straight game which is a major league record i want to say at this point so the uh, yeah the mariners are pretty much spanking everyone uh they also got swept by the tigers the royals did they lost a two-game series against the twins and then they opened against the white Sox, where they won those first two games and have not won since when i go to the stats for the kansas city royals you pull it up uh you know wit Whit Merrifield, I need to check and see if he's still in the middle of his hit streak or if that got snapped. It was the quietest hit streak in the history of mankind. Uh, he got up to 31 games before it broke. Uh, he went. He had an 0 for 6 next to innings. Um, and there's a good chance that you had no idea that Whit Merrifield had a 31-game hitting streak. And that is my cat deciding to join in on the podcast. Uh, Mondesi is really broken out this year. He has been one of the most dynamic young players in baseball. Take advantage of this chance to see him. Jorge Solar is starting to look like maybe the player people thought he could be. Uh, There's going to be a lot of strikeouts, but there is also the big power potential. And the rest of the lineup... I mean, Alex Gordon's been good, but uh, Hunter Dozier's impassable. But Chris Owings, Billy Hamilton, Martin Maldonado have all not been 
Uh, Ryan O'Hearn has struggled, though he has had some big uh, power outputs occasionally at points. This is a team that's uh, clearly in the middle of a transition and what could be a very long transition. Pitching-wise, Brad Keller has been uh, passable. Jorge Lopez has been passable. Uh, Junis, not so much. This is a team that's had Homer Bailey start two games, which probably says all you really need to know about the uh, current setup for the uh, Kansas City Royals pitching staff. If you are pulling in Homer Bailey, that is a very negative sign. Ian Kennedy has been moved to their closer. And I say, well, or maybe Brad Bot Brad Box. Boxberger and Ian Kennedy each have one save. Kennedy is not starting. He's working out of the pen so far this year, so Boxberger is probably really the closer. But, uh, you know, there was an opportunity for Ian Kennedy to come in and get that save. So this is a three-game series against the Royals that the Indians should take two out of three from. It doesn't really matter who's on the mound. It doesn't really matter what's going on with the Indians. Their pitching staff is solid. And Kansas City has between Mondesi and Merrifield right now, you know, they have what the Indians were supposed to have in terms of production with uh, Lindor and Ramirez. But sadly, one is injured and the other is in a a tailspin right now. So they're not getting there. So the Royals, if you get a chance to to watch the games this week, those are the two guys that are really going to stand out. Those are the the central players and with the state of the Royals system, they had a ton. They were Kings of last year's draft in terms of draft picks. And it was a deep draft. Um, I didn't always love their selections to be honest though. They have a long rebuild and I have still stand firmly stand in the position that, uh, Whit Merrifield is a player they should consider moving, but I am someone who believes in salting the earth and trading away anything of value when it comes time to rebuild. BlueChew.com, our sponsor, you know, you've heard me say it in many different ways. It's a little blue pill. If you've ever wanted to try it, this is your chance. It's going to cost you 5 bucks in shipping. Go to BlueChew.com and use the promo code MLB. Okay, let's go to Carlos Santana Appreciation Night now. Carlos Santana has been with the Indians for this will be his ninth season. He, of course, came over for Casey Blake. You might have forgotten that at the time. I, was John Malone the other character in that deal? I want to say at the time he was kind of the bigger name. Yep, it was Jonathan Malone. Because Santana kind of, that season really came on. He was one of those guys, he wasn't really a top 10 list player. This is the Indian trading for him, for him in 2008. And this is back when, you know, we didn't necessarily have updates halfway through the year on prospect lists. So Santana wasn't really listed amongst the top 10 prospects, but Malone was a back of the Dodgers top 10 that year. Malone never really got much together in the majors, had a few cups of coffee, cups of coffee, and it was pretty clear that uh, Santana was the guy. Now, if you go back even a little bit further, what I remember is that the Blake deal happened after the Sabathia deal, and the Indians actually had a deal in place with the Dodgers for Sabathia, but the owner at the time 
Frank McCord, right, who uh, who owns Fox, was going through a divorce, and there was monetary issues, and there was this and that, and, you know, before I throw this stuff out there, I should probably do it. Yep, I was correct, Frank McCord. So, basically, there was monetary issues at the time. They refused to take on the extra salary, so the deal that the Indians and Dodgers had in place never didn't occur the indians kind of went back out there they ended up uh making the trade with the brewers which was very interesting you know matt laporta was the centerpiece and then the deal was if the brewers made the playoffs the indians would get to pick one of three players from a list as the player they wanted to get and if the brewers didn't make it then they'd get to pick the player from the list and we kind of knew who it was at the time and uh, it was like taylor green was the other player of note and the brewers were refusing to part with like lorenzo kane who was they'd eventually move for grand key and there were a few other names that i just can't remember this is top of my head but the indians won uh, or the brewers actually won but the indians won the the trade-off there and thankfully chose michael brantley making that trade a non-total disaster so to go back to where i started with carlos santana uh you know i I firmly believe that that Dodgers trade kind of laid the groundwork that Malone and Santana were probably part of that deal. And then when it didn't go through, eventually they uh, reconnected on Casey Blake and made that deal. And Carlos Santana is one of my favorite Indians of all time. Like, I'll be honest, you you look at him, he is just consistently an on-base machine. His Yes, his career average is 248. But he has a 364 on base percentage. He's getting on base 36% of the time, basically. He has had a few years with some big power output, but that's been kind of the knock is that it's inconsistent power production. But here's a guy who was a catcher, which means he's just going to get more beat up. He isn't going to have as much time behind the plate. Uh, willingly was gave third base a try for the sake of the team moved to first base for the sake of the team, turned himself into a plus defender at first base. Um, and you never heard him complain. You never heard him step out. And there was definitely a few points where it felt that uh, Tito was uh, commenting or not ha- the happiest with Carlos at points, and he just kept doing his thing. And this year it's been amazing to watch it's 11 games in you know it's early he's not going to keep uh his strikeout percentage at six percent or i'm sorry it's basically seven percent is a guy who's historically about 16 and a half but especially the last few years it's been closer to about 13 or 14 his walk percentage is staying about the same you know the for all of the production it's not been power production he is just making contact and just some fun stuff if we want to go into the advanced stats with Carlos Santana. I was pulling these up earlier. So, again, going to baseball savant, he is currently 96th percentile in exit velocity. Hard hit percentage is 89th percentile. Expected batting average, 87th percentile. Expected slugging is 68th percentile. And expected weighted on base percentage is 73rd percentile. Exit velocity and hard hit percentage are among elite levels. The expected on base and slugging are amongst the like good levels. The only thing he is poor in is his sprint speed, and that should come as no surprise that he is 11th percentile in that area. For his career, you go through, the strikeout rates have always been amongst the elite 
top five level. His on-base percentage are pretty consistently among the top 20 from 2012 to 2017, all but one year. He at least had one of the top 20 um, on-base percentages. 2013 is a kind of the standout year. You may not think, you probably in your head are thinking, no, no, the standout year is 2016 where he had the 34 home runs. And yes, that is uh, kind of the high watermark for home runs and um, uh, OPS. But that 2013 year, he had 39 doubles um, and his slugging percentage. That was the only time his slugging percentage was amongst the top 20 in baseball. This year, he is hitting the ball harder so far uh, than he has ever hit. You're looking at a guy who's previous high exit velocity was 90.7 and this year he's at 95.1 his launch angle is significantly changed Um, his and all of this is led and his k percentage is is so much lower than we've seen in years past so it's it's interesting to see what continues on um, because he is hitting the ball harder and he is hitting the ball differently than we've seen before his launch angle has changed um so it there's some reasons to think maybe some of it's legit obviously not all of it's legit carlos santana is not going to continue to be uh hitting 378 but there's some reasons for optimism there i am running long again but i promise some draft talk so very quickly um, my second, my first mock draft of the year, I gave Spencer Jones to the Indians, a left-handed pitcher slash first baseman with a, he's a probably more pitcher, but you could see him either way. Plus power as a hitter, big kid from California, young for his class. Basic reasoning, Indians like to draft out of California and they like young for their class. Well, Jones is hurt. So he is kind of way down boards. Uh, I'm going to butcher Kyrian Paris, who is maybe the youngest player in the class, uh, shortstop, California. So extremely young, up the middle, California. Seems like just kind of a player you should just book it if he's there for the Indians. They uh, He fits their type so well. Last time they drafted a shortstop in the first round with this around this, at who is this draft age, it was Lindor. Now, obviously, Lindor was a top 10 pick, and Paris is not. But, and he is a rising talent. There's always a chance he could go higher than this. I know the Blue Jays liked him quite a bit, but uh, if they don't take him at 11, there's no chance that he is going to get back to him. So he could go there. Um, the other names that I, uh, Michael Togalia from UCLA, he is struggling a little bit this year, and the Indians sometimes draft guys who struggle in their draft years. He is uh he won't be 21 until July. Young first class. He walks a lot. There's power potential. UCLA has not done a good job of developing. That's uh, just the truth of the matter. So there's always the chance too that you look at a player like that and go, oh well, he went to UCLA. Maybe we can get more out of him. And then the last guy who I think, you know, you have to really look at is Blake Walston, left-handed pitcher who will be 17 on draft day. He's from North Carolina. He's uh, six foot four. It's a lot of projection with him, but he also set, like, several uh, of his reason, region of North Carolina records as a quarterback. Um, extremely productive, 
high school quarterback, young for his class, first time he'd be able to concentrate as a pitcher. <laughs> if he, for instance, I, I don't think he'd be there in round two, but if for some reason he was, I, I could easily see the Indians uh, trying to pick up Walston in round two. So, yeah, those are kind of the three names that stood out when I was working on the piece today. Uh, today, I've been working on it for about a week straight, let's be honest. But I am over 20 minutes for what is supposed to be a 15-minute podcast. I need. I want to thank everyone who is listening at home on the Himalaya app, iTunes, Google Play. Subscribe, review, share with a friend. All of that helps. And thank you for listening. And as always, go Tribe.